Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Tonight, we're going to... Uh, Take a little step back. We're going to be in Zechariah, but in different places, because Zechariah is a tough book. Anyone? Amen, right? It's a lot of of prophecy, history, a lot of that. But I think tonight, the Lord, I think we want to just pause and reflect on what God's done already. Who has been here since the very beginning of the book of Zechariah? Raise your hand. Awesome. A good majority of you guys. Um, I don't know about you, but I've been challenged in a lot of ways. But challenge means growth. I've been challenged where I'm using parts of my brain I've never used in a long time, right? Uh, I've been taking it in, ingesting it, comprehending, rereading. But the beautiful thing is the prophecy that's fulfilled, the history that's documented, it just makes the story of Jesus, Messiah, so much more real. That I know that I know that my Redeemer lives. And so as we go through this today, I pray that as we look just at a couple verses in Zechariah and kind of unfold what that is, what that means for each of us. And uh, last week when PC Pastor Chet was sharing, you know, about the history, Alexander the Great and all this kind of stuff, it just makes me realize the world recognizes Jesus. When prophecy is fulfilled, when it's stated in the Old Testament and you see in the New Testament, it just means my, my Jesus is real. And so as we come tonight and take a look at some of these passages, I pray that you would see the things that were pre-planned and created by God. Though he creates the plan, guess what? Jesus is the plan. He is the center of this book that we call the Bible. Everything points to Jesus. And I pray tonight that as we hear, as we study, that your relationship with Jesus would be so much greater, so much more deeper that you, in your, in your heart and your mind, you would understand Jesus so much more, that the book of Zechariah would point to Jesus over and over again. John 1, in the beginning was the? And the Word was with? And the Word was? Jesus. I could just end right there, right? We could be good, right? But really, as I think about this, tonight we want to take a look at uh, a portion of Scripture that I believe... We can gain from and we can learn from. Tonight's study is called, He Came and He's Coming Again. Can you say that with me? One, two, three. He came. Do you guys believe that? You didn't say it like you believe it. One more time. One, two, three. He came and He's Coming Again. Can we get a little more oomph in that? One more time. One, two, three. He came and He's Coming Again. We can bank our life on that. Acts chapter 1, we're going to look at three verses, verses 9 through 11. Go ahead and turn there. When you get to Acts chapter 1, verse 9 through 11, say amen. Amen over here. Any more amens? Amen over here. Anyone else? Amen. All right. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. It says here, Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you did it all. On the cross, you said, it is finished. Before you left, you left your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, that we can come tonight, Lord. So take our hearts that have maybe been hardened this week, and would you bring your living water to soften our hearts, God? Would you take maybe our preoccupied minds and bring clarity to them? God, would you take maybe our unpleasant attitudes and give us a spirit of gentleness tonight, God, that you remove those things, Father, that we will get a clear view. As the disciples viewed you being ascended into heaven, we want to see you in full view today. 
Use this time to strengthen us, to grow us, to deepen our faith. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. 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 So we're going to start here and work our way back to what it says in the book of Zechariah. But when verse 9 says, he had spoken these things, let's give some backstory. If you read through the book of Acts before, the first verses talk about Luke, who's the writer. And here's this episode where Jesus, after he's resurrected, he is on the earth for about 40 days. And he's visiting, he's fellowshipping, he's hanging out. And tons and tons of people see him, eyewitnesses. And they come to this fact. And Jesus, he knows it's his time to go. The ascension, that fact that he is on earth and he will ascend into heaven And they have a conversation. He has a conversation with the disciples. And the disciples say this real simply. They say, Jesus, hey, we know that you are here, but can we ask you a question? Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Are you going to come back and give us power? Are you going to release us from the oppression of the Romans? Are are we going to be part of this political religious system that you're going to establish, right, Jesus? And Jesus says real simply there, he says, uh, that's none of your business. It's up to my father. My father knows this. Says, it is not for you to know the times, verse 7, or the season, which the father has put in his own authority. And here's verse 8. If you don't have this, underline, underline it, circle it, star it. It says, can you all read this with me here? Verse 8 here in Acts chapter 1. It's 1, 2, 3. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus, before he's crucified, he told the disciples, hey, I'm going to go. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. But guess what? I'm going to leave a comforter. I'm going to leave a counselor, the Holy Spirit, so you're not going to be alone. And so... As he's saying this, the promise of the Holy Spirit is going to come, and you are going to be witnesses unto me. As I think about this, this is what's going on. And as the disciples are there, verse 9, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Verse 10, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, he went up. So that idea of steadfastly is like straining, gazing, kind of that like mesmerized feeling when you're looking at something, you're almost in disbelief. It's almost like, oh, wow, this is really happening. Jesus, who is on earth, resurrected Christ, is now ascending into heaven. Get get this picture in your mind. That's what's going on here. They are purposefully, passionately looking Jesus being ascended into heaven. And as they were looking, guess what happens? Behold, two men stood beside them in white apparel. And so as I think about this, I think that these men are there with a message. They could be angels, could be Moses, could be Elijah, who knows? Uh, It's yet to be determined. But they appear there and they have a question for them. And this is what the question is. Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? So get this picture here. Jesus is talking. He's ascended. Disciples are looking up. They're gazing. Jesus is here. I see him. I see him. I don't see him. But they're almost still looking. They're almost still gazing into nothing. Jesus is no longer there. He's no longer in their presence. And I could imagine that as they're staring, these two men in white come and says, yo, what are you looking at? He's no longer there. And I wonder for someone like, wait, Jesus, you're supposed to. But Jesus, you haven't finished yet. But Jesus, that could be going in their mind also. And these two men come upon them and they says, what are you staring at? Because what you're staring at is no longer there. He really was saying you're gazing into an empty sky. I think there's something here for us. It is the 12th day of 2023. Do you believe that? Do you guys ever think you were going to make it to 2023, right? And so the message here for us is this. We can spend so much time looking at one thing or nothing, and you miss out on what is coming. Our message for 2023, Isaiah 43, 
Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. Behold, he's doing a new thing. He's going to make a road in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Philippians, Paul says, hey, don't, uh, not to forget those things which are behind, but press on to those things which are forward. Those things of 2022, that was so 2022. The issues, the difficult situation. Everyone say, that was so 2022. Everyone say that. That was so 2022, man. We're in 2023. And so with that in mind, stop looking at what did or didn't happen in 2022. The missed opportunities, the broken relationships. You can be staring to something that is no longer there. And guess what? God wants to do a new thing. The disciples were fixated on the fact that Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. When the Holy Spirit comes. I think that's a word for some of us today. For the disciples. Jesus said, I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave you the promise of the Holy Spirit. And he's going to empower you. Empower you to the point that you're going to be witnesses to me. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the othermost parts. Hey, it's real easy to focus on our failures and successes our victories and defeats, but God wants us to look forward. He wants to see what he has for us. It goes on and says, Who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, this same Jesus who stepped out of heaven in humility, who became an infant in swaddling costs in a manger. This same Jesus who came upon earth and got a bunch of men and called them disciples. This same Jesus who preached the kingdom of God. This same Jesus who fed the multitude is the same Jesus who healed many. But he's also the same Jesus who healed Jairus' 12-year-old daughter. He's the same Jesus who healed the woman with the issue of blood. He's the same Jesus who turned water into wine at the wedding where his mother was at. This same Jesus. This same Jesus who spoke your name and brought you into the king, kingdom. This same Jesus who healed you that you might walk with him. This same Jesus who took you who were blind and now you see. This same Jesus. I think that's an important point because sometimes we forget this same Jesus who raised the dead is the same Jesus who raised me to life. He's a personal Messiah. Don't think he's out there. He's right here. He's right here with us. And so as they bring out this point, this same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you have seen, right? And so as we look at this now, there these men dressed in white apparel they're speaking and say, this Jesus who you saw ascended, he's coming back again in this very spot, the Mount of Olives, where he's located. I just want to break down a little bit for all of us so we have an understanding. There is a first coming of Jesus, which in your Bibles, the Gospels, the Gospels are Matthew. The Gospels are? Matthew. How many are there? You sure? Amen. Are you sure? Okay. That's the first coming. It documents all the things that happened when Jesus was here. We are in the church age. So from the book of Acts to right here, this is the church age. Then there is the rapture of the church. The rapture is when Jesus comes for his church. He will not land, land on earth, but he'll meet us in the sky and the clouds. You want to check it out? First Thessalonians chapter 4, the rapture, right? Which is which we're all waiting for, church, the bride of Christ. We're waiting for that moment. And then there is a second coming of Christ is when Christ will land physically, visibly on planet Earth, but he doesn't come alone. He comes with us. So the rapture, check this out, he comes for his church. The second coming, he comes with his church. So we have something to look forward to. And as we look at this and look at the different things that are in here, he came and he is? Again. Amen. He came and he's? We want to understand this first coming gets us ready for a second coming. 
And I think there's value. If you have not read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John already, I encourage you to read through that because that's who our Jesus is. Be familiar with who he is and what he's done. Zechariah, we're going to turn there real quick. The book of Zechariah uh, really will show us what God would have for us to see in him. Zechariah is a prophet of hope and truth. Uh, we're going to highlight not all the prophecies we hear all night. So I'm just going to focus on two prophecies in the book of Zechariah. So the first one we're going to look at is going to be found in Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 10. So Zechariah 9 through 10. Um, and the first thing I want to notate today, tonight, is humility. Christ came in humility. And in his first coming, Christ came as a king of Israel, lowly, riding on a donkey, even upon a colt, the foal of a colt. And if you were here last week, Pastor Chet read through that, that reminded us that this is what it said in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It says that, Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, the, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Well, check this out. Matthew chapter 21, verse 6 and 7. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on him, and he set and set him, Jesus, on them. That's prophecy fulfilled. I want you to take note of this. Jesus, who was born in a stinky stable, Jesus, who was a carpenter, Jesus was welcomed into the gates of Jerusalem. Imagine this. Jesus, who's the king of kings and lord of lords, he could have showed up on a stallion with a chariot and an entourage, but he didn't. Jesus could have the hype, the hoopla, a parade, but he didn't. He came upon a donkey. Da-dun, 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 right? And they were laying clothes and palm branches. Sometimes we forget Jesus came in humility. He didn't come for a show. He came to save. And when I look at who Jesus is, it should cause my heart to want to be like him. In his humility, remember what he did in humility. John chapter 13, the Last Supper. Anyone remember? He began to remove his garments, pick up a towel and a water basin. And what did he do with his disciples? He washed their feet. Their dirty, crusty, stanky feet began to wash. He got on his knees and began to pour water and wash. Not only is Jesus humble, he's a servant. Jesus is a humble servant. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I would do that. I'm going to keep it real. Anyone? Let's keep it real here. That would be an act of humility to get on your knees and cleanse someone's feet. I believe that Jesus has a word here for us. In his humility, as he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, in his humility, he became a servant to the disciples and washed their feet. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He gave his life. There's a quote from C.S. Lewis that says, The Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. Let me read that again. He says, The Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. Jesus came in humility on a donkey washing feet. The second thing I want to draw your attention to, you're going to find it in Zechariah chapter 11, verses 7 through 11. In this passage, as we're reading through last week, there's a couple of things going on here. Christ came as a shepherd to feed the poor, in quotations, of the flock. So if we remember from our conversation last week, our time last week, is that there were shepherds in that day and time during the time of Jesus. But they were shepherds 
priests, religious rulers for the sake of personal gain. They were not there to really to shepherd and take care of the flock of God. It says here in verse 7, referring to Jesus, So I fed the flock for slaughter. In particular, the poor of the flock. Underline that. The poor of the flock. We're going to talk about that. I took for myself two staffs, the one called beauty and the other one called bonds, and I fed the flock. This is identifying Jesus as a shepherd. Christ came as a shepherd to feed the poor of the flock. There were leaders there, and they took advantage of the people. Jesus was a true shepherd, the chief shepherd. Though he was rejected, though he was detested, he had compassion on the people. Matthew 9.36, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Jesus became a shepherd to the worn out and the lost. Come to me, Jesus said, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you Anyone need some rest today? Jesus came for the worn out. Jesus came for the confused. We are living in a world that is utterly confused, isn't it? About who they are and who God has created them to be. Well, I got a message. God don't make no mistakes. And because of that, you are created in his image. Jesus is a shepherd, and he knows his flock. He knows the sheep of his pasture. He's a good shepherd. When you get a chance, check out John chapter 10. It lays out that Jesus is the good shepherd, the best shepherd. But also, this is what the shepherd does. John 10, 15, as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. That's Jesus. He laid down his life for you and me. He laid down his life for the person that lives across the street. He laid down his life for the person you don't get along with at work. He laid down his life for the person in that far remote island in the South Pacific. He laid down his life for his sheep. As I begin to think about that, I think, Lord, would you shepherd me? Would you remind me that I'm your sheep? Psalm 23 lays out such a beautiful picture. Jesus wants to shepherd and take care of you. Jesus wants to lead you beside still waters. Jesus wants to remind you simply that he wants to restore your soul. Jesus wants to be with you in the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus wants to lead you as a shepherd. So as we look at this, these two prophecies in Zacharias lead us to the Gospels, lead us to who Jesus is in his first coming. He came in humility as a servant, and he came as a shepherd. But now we're going to look at the second coming, and we're going to focus just on one piece that I think really shows us who Jesus is going to be in the second coming. The second coming of Jesus, what does that look like? Uh, you might hear it said that the second coming is the second advent, or parousia in Greek. That means the, the coming of. The second coming, as we talked about, is that he will come with his church. After we've been raptured, we've been in his presence, he's going to come back down and take care of business. I love this. Jesus will make things that were wrong, he will make them right. He will restore because of the destruction of sin. He will take back what's rightfully his. And he will defeat the Antichrist and the enemy forever. Victory. Victory, victory, victory. So when Jesus was on earth... He rose from the dead. That took care of sin and death. But now he's coming back in the second coming and he's going to take care of all the enemies that came up against him. Jesus is in the midst of this with his bride. As we look at some of these passages, I pray that you will be comforted that our hope as believers is that God is in control. He knows what he's doing. 
right? And he's going to set up his kingdom. He's going to judge his enemies. He's going to reward the faithful. The prince of peace is making a promise that everything will become right. In his first coming, Jesus came in the most humble circumstances, fulfilled the prophecies, and his second coming, he's going to fulfill the rest of the prophecies. It is yet to come, but it will happen. These prophecies of Jesus will be fulfilled. Jesus will become the ruler of nations, the universe, the captain of the Lord's army. The first time he came as a suffering servant. And we note that his his time on the cross, the crucifixion, he was a suffering servant. But this is the part. He will return as a conquering king. He's going to be king. Christ will come back to be the king to reign and rule over the nations. Zechariah 9.10. I want us to think about that a little bit. Jesus is not coming to be a prophet, a good man, a good Samaritan. He's coming to be king. Revelation 17.4 says, there will make war, These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. For he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Because Jesus will return as a coming, conquering king, I want to live for him now. My allegiance is to Jesus. And remember, elementary school, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. I feel like we should do it. No, we won't do it. But it became routine. As I got older, I actually thought about that phrase, I pledge my allegiance. What does that mean? If something were to happen, and for those of you that you pledge your allegiance to the United States of America and you serve your country, thank you. That was allegiance. Allegiance is saying this, that if something came against the United States of America, you guess what? I'm going to stand up. I'm going to fight. This is what this allegiance is. This is my king. I'm going to do whatever I can to please him and to serve him and to do what I can that he would remain the king. If I see Jesus as the king of kings and the Lord of lords, I want to live my life. That means no longer... No longer will I allow anything to be on the throne of my life. No other gods, no other loves. Revelations 1.5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is what it says here. The ruler of the kings of the earth. I love that countries have prime ministers, kings, queens, royalty, but they ain't got nothing on Jesus. He's the king. It says it right here. The king over, uh, the ruler over the kings of the earth. The faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. And says, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He's the king of kings. He's the king of my heart. He's the king of my life. And if I allow other gods, other loves, other kings to be enthroned in my life, that's my problem. Not God's. I don't know about you, but prior to Jesus Christ, prior to living for the Lord, I had a lot of kings. I had a lot of loves. I had a lot of other gods on the throne of my life. But that spot is only reserved for Jesus. If you've read through Isaiah, specifically Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah was a prophet, and God used him in a mighty way. But God wanted to get his attention. See, Isaiah was serving, and he was serving man. Isaiah chapter 6, it says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Let me say it again. In the year that King Uzziah, in the year that the king, in the year that my love, in the year that my God, 
in the year of my passion, in the year of my habit, in the year of my sin, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Maybe it's hard to make him the king of their life because you got other gods in his spot. It's reserved for him. And I love this. Maybe the Lord is impressing upon your heart, what's that king that needs to die in your life? What's that passion? What's that habit? It's like saying this, is there anything that's rivaling God in my life right now? Is there anything that's pulling me away from my attention? Is there anything that's, that's competing with Jesus in my life? And it could be a relationship, and it could be a pursuit of a career. It can even be ministry and the things of God. Is there something in my life that's preventing Jesus to be king over all my life? Tonight, we need to ask God, remove that. Remove that thing in my life. Because you know what? I can't see you. There's this old school song. And remember, open the eyes of my heart. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. I read this this week, and it just has blown my mind away. But it said, church, we have a tendency when we pray that our eyes are closed. And I think the quote says, church, let's pray that our eyes are opened. When I pray, God, open my eyes that I might see you. God, open my eyes to see your glory. Open my eyes that I might see those things in my life that are blocking my perspective of you. As you and I draw close to the Lord, as you and I take these steps to see him high and lifted up, the only way that's going to happen is if I allow those things of the world to grow strangely dim. If I allow those things of the world that take importance in my life, and granted, it could be something that's pretty valuable in your life. God wants to give you his best. And as I think about the prophecy that Christ will be the ruler over the kings of the earth, that is, that is our future. So guess what, church? Let's do that now. Let's allow him to rule and reign over our life even now at this moment. Jesus was sacrificed for us in order to be the Savior for all sinners. His precious sacrifice for each and every single one of us. As we look at these prophecies in Zechariah, and we just look at a couple we want to see what God has for us today. Rapture, I don't know what's going to happen. Jesus knows. Second coming of Christ, I don't know what's going to happen. Jesus knows. But you know what? I have today. I've got right now. And how am I living my life unto the Lord at this moment? And so with all this biblical information and knowledge, God, may it lead to transformation in my life. I want, I want us to think of it this way. God, thank you for this information that I'm taking, but God, use it now to change me. Holy Spirit, would you take my attitude and would you adjust it? Holy Spirit, would you take my callous heart because of trauma and tragedy in my life and would you soften it? Holy Spirit, my, my mind, it's not a good mind sometimes. Would you renew it? Would you cleanse it? Would you transform it? I believe part of this tonight is that we would take a look at who we are in Christ and we allow the word of God and give access to the Holy Spirit to change us. As we read, uh, I need to realize that Jesus was willing to be a humble servant. Jesus was the good shepherd Jesus will be the king of kings. And so as a result of that, I want a desire to serve him and purpose to speak about him. And so tonight, I just want to focus on a couple things that we can do now. Now knowing this, knowing, now knowing that prophecy has been fulfilled in the first coming. Knowing that prophecy will be fulfilled in his second coming, how will I live? 
First thing I want to encourage you, church, let's learn to serve Jesus with all your hearts. Jesus was a humble servant. For him to wash the feet of the disciples, an amazing thing. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 and 8 says, Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, make note of that, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. He was a bondservant. Most of us know bondservants, you're brought into being a servant, and if your master was good, you said, hey, I want to continue to serve you. You would take a uh, 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 an all to a door, and you would pierce yourself to say, I'm a bondservant. I no longer are here are, are under um, uh, uh, arrest, or I'm not here because I owe a debt. I'm here because I freely want to serve the Lord. Jesus, he came in the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men. He became like you and I. Could you imagine that? The same things that you go through, Jesus did. He became a man. He put on skin. And it says, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Sometimes we think serving the Lord should bring some applause and accolades. Wow, look at you. You picked out that piece of trash. Praise God. Or we think, I'm ushering that you get a pat on the back. Sometimes we think that's what serving gets, or it validates me, it confirms that I'm valuable, or I'm acknowledged, but rather the purpose to serve God is to glorify God, that he gets the glory, not me, not anyone else, but God gets the glory for those that serve him. We serve in order to please the Father, and sometimes when we serve him, there is area just like this. Jesus became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. We have to say, Lord, these things about me, my pride, my selfishness, my laziness, these things need to die in order that I could serve you. So church, what are those things in our life that you need to be obedient to the point of death to? Are there things in my life, your life, that need to utterly die so that I can freely serve Jesus. When I first came to Calvary Chapel South Bay many years ago, um, I wanted to get involved. And one of the areas that I wanted to get involved was missions. I had had some history on going on mission trips prior to this. And so I came, and Pastor Steph uh, was the uh, pastor that would take weekend mission trips to Baja, California, Mexico, specifically Maniadero, which is south of Ensenada. And so I signed up to go on a weekend mission trip to Maniadero. And we were serving alongside an orphanage called Reino de los Niños, which is Kids Kingdom. And I was super excited. See, when I was in college, I had gone to the Bronx in New York. I was in Guatemala. I was able to spend a summer in Nagoya, Japan, as an exchange student and to share the gospel. So I thought, missions, this is great. Are we going to go and share the gospel? Man, we're going to talk to people and we're going to get saved and we're going to do baptisms. This is what's going on in my mind. So we go on the mission trip. We leave early on a Friday morning. We arrive there in the afternoon. We have lunch. And they're like, okay, here we go. We're going to get ready to go. And the first thing they hand me is a shovel. I go, what's this for? Is this for show? Are we going to take a picture with the shovel? What? You know what's going on here? They say, oh, we're going to dig ditches. Say, what? Dig ditches? How's that missionary work? And I remember my first thought was, what is this going to amount to? There's people dying. There's people who need Jesus. How am I going to serve Jesus with a shovel? And I have to be honest, I don't know if you can tell, I'm not, like, I'm not a manual labor kind of guy. I'm sorry, I'm just not, okay? And when I was younger, maybe more so than I am now. But I remember I'm digging and digging, it's hot. And I'm getting tired, right? And I see there are about five of us there. And, and all of a sudden, people started to disappear. Oh, i got to go to the bathroom. Okay. 
dig in, dig in. Oh, I'm going to get some water. Dig in, dig in. And then I'm the last man standing still digging. I was like, you know what? I really don't need to do this. Pastor Steph, and I'm thinking, what am I going to tell Pastor Steph? Um, Pastor Steph, uh, I have a medical condition that prevents me from being in dirt. You know, I'm thinking all these things. Come on, y'all. You know you do that too. You know you do that too when you don't want to do something, right? And so I'm thinking through these things because in my mind, serving God on a mission trip is this. And I remember as I'm there, thinking of ways to get out of this task, the good old Holy Spirit says, yo, you don't like what you're doing? No, I don't. Good. (laughs) And I learned a valuable lesson that day. Three things I learned from the Lord. Three things that he impressed upon me. Serve me no matter who's around or who isn't around. I serve God on my own, in my lane, because he's my king. I serve God when I feel like it and when I don't. I had a little bit of uh, hangry-itis. Anyone ever had that sometime? The inflammation of your hangriness, you know? There are times when you don't want to do what you're supposed to do. And I love those times because God says, perfect, let me come in and do it. Church, sometimes we want to try to serve Jesus on our own terms or when it's convenient or when we think we should be serving. And Jesus all, remember, I'm the king. You're you're the servant. I'm the master. Know our role. The third thing I learned that day Jesus said, just serve me. Dennis, you and me, right here. That's good enough. See, knowing that my Jesus knelt down and washed the disciples' feet should cause me to want to do the same. Should cause me to want to meet the needs of the poor. Should cause me to want to pray with those that are caught up in sin. Should cause me to want to pray for healing over people. That's what it means. My Jesus was a humble servant. As Jesus portrayed that, the other thing that God was showing me in the midst of this, Jesus was a shepherd. Remember it says he came to feed the poor of the flock. That word poor is the afflicted, the lost, the the distressed, Jesus came for people like us. I don't know about you, but I'll say this. For most of my life, I was chasing my dreams when God was pursuing me. And God said, follow, follow me. Luke 9, 23. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, Daily and follow me. I'll tell you this. Being a believer, being following Jesus is not the easiest thing, but it's worth it. Why? The Bible tells me so. That's why. The second thing tonight I want to encourage us in church is to speak. Speak the name of Jesus. Speak to someone about Jesus. Speak to Jesus. Use this right here in Espanol. ¿Cómo se dice? Boca, right? Use your mouth to talk about Jesus. But not just your mouth. Use your life. Use your actions. Use your conduct. There was an episode in John chapter 8. And remember the woman who was caught in adultery? They bring her in front of Jesus. Jesus, this woman, she was caught in adultery. What shall we do? The the Testament says to stone her. What did Jesus say? If anyone is without what? Sin, let him be the first one. And what happened to all these accusers? They left. Then Jesus makes this statement, because I love the way that the Gospels are laid out. John chapter 8, verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. 
He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Every time that Jesus spoke, it became red letters in the gospel. There's something about when Jesus speaks that changes and transforms people. Peace be still. Then it was. Right? Go and sin no more. Your faith has made you well. These are promises. When Jesus spoke, things happened. But guess what, church? We have this beautiful opportunity to do the same. Speaking the gospel, the truth of the word, helps people turn away from the way of the world and turn to Christ. We are here today, check this out. You and I are here today because someone showed some light in our life. Think about this. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. We are here today because what? Someone gave some light to you. Maybe it was a family member. Maybe a, a complete stranger. Maybe it was someone that you knew from back in the day. Uh, as I grew up, I was a Catholic by birth. Anyone Catholics by birth, right? And I even went to a Catholic high school. I went to uh, Bishop Montgomery here in Torrance. I was a good old Catholic boy. And uh, I had two friends, Gio and Phil. And we were all Catholic. And when we graduated from uh, high school, we all went our separate ways. Gio uh, enlisted in the Marines. Hoorah, right? He enlisted in the Marines. Uh, Phil became a chemistry major at UC Santa Barbara. And I just stayed here. And so, <laughs> and so the Lord started to do something. Gio was in the Gulf War, and he gets saved and is baptized in the desert. Phil goes away to college. UC Santa Barbara is a party school, does that for a while, and gets saved. Two separate occasions, both of them have a conversation with me, who is not a believer, and tell me about Jesus. I didn't just hear it once. I heard it twice from two different people. And though I did not receive Christ at either of those times, I heard about Jesus because they spoke about Jesus. Some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. He does the work. I am here. You are here as a result of someone who spoke the word of God. Guess what, church? We have that same ability. We have that same passion. We have that same desire to do the same. Jesus, when he ran into Zacchaeus, came to his house or on his way, today I'm going to have dinner with you, he said. Salvation has come to your house, for the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. And that's what we can do as we speak. For the Lord. Finally, there's this quote. It's from Ellen Redpath, and it says, The immense step from the babe, Jesus, to, at Bethlehem to the living, reigning, triumphant Lord Jesus. This is, where we, this is where we are. Returning to earth for his own people. That is a glorious truth throughout Scripture, that he's coming back, right? As the bells ring out, the joys of Christmas we also be alert for the final trumpet that will announce his return when we shall always be with him. That's what we look forward to, church. I look forward to Thursday nights. I look forward to Sunday mornings. But guess what? I look forward to meeting Jesus. That's why we are here. Uh, Christmas was two and a half weeks ago, right? And one of the things that the Lord ministered to me about Christmas was this, right? There was no room for Joseph and Mary, room for them in the end. But guess what? When Jesus comes a second time, his whole glory will fill the earth. The world can't contain him. But also this, Luke chapter 2 speaks of this. His birth announcement was through the angels 
to a handful of shepherds tending their flock at night. Remember that? And this is what happened. When they had seen him, Jesus, when they had seen Jesus, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. Another version says this. After seeing him, after seeing Jesus, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. When Jesus first came, it was a small announcement. When Jesus comes again, every eye will behold him in Revelations. That's the Jesus we worship. That's the Jesus we follow. And so, family... Our challenge this week for each and every single one of us till he takes us home is to be like the shepherds watching our flock and then telling everyone about what Jesus has done for us. These weeks in the book of Zechariah have really ministered to me in that not only is my Jesus real, my Jesus is here. And that I have this privilege to introduce people to Jesus. And as we come together tonight, let's remember that we are messengers, that he came, and that he's coming back again. And he's coming back for us. And so with that, church, let's pray and ask the Lord to show us how to serve him, and how to speak for him today. Father, we just want to come to you tonight and we thank you for being the God of our life, for being the love of our life, and for reminding us that you have a purpose and a plan for each and every single one of us in this room tonight. And God, you have a purpose and a plan for even those that are watching online. You have a purpose and a plan for the youth. You have a purpose and a plan for the young adults. You have purpose for us. And so, God, whatever we face or we may be encountering right now, would you remind us that you're the king of kings and you're the king of our life and that our desire is to follow you all the days of our life. And so we thank you for the church body here. Thank you for what you've done and what you're going to continue to do. And, Lord, we just trust in you. And so, God, in our weaknesses, God, be our strength. In those areas of struggle, be our peace. God, we want to be a people that is raised up, ready to serve and speak you wherever you take us, God. Help us to be ready. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening. And we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.